Trailers for sale or rent. Rooms to let 50 cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. I ain't got no cigarettes. Two hours of pushing broom by the eight by twelve for a bit room. I'm a man of means by no means. The king of the road. Third box car, midnight train. Destination banger, mate. Old worn out suit and shoes. They don't pay no union dues. I smoke old stogies that I have found. Short, but not too big around. I'm a, a man of means by no means. King of the road, I know every engineer on every train, and all the children, and all of their names, and every handout in every town, and every rock that ain't locked, and no one's around, is and trailers for sale or rent. Who's the rot, cents? No phone, no pool, no pets. Got no cigarettes. Two hours of pushing broom buys a eight for twelve for bedroom. I'm a man of means and no means. King of the road. If it's not correct, that's fine. Been sitting around thinking with the re- drinking with the rest of the guys. Six rounds bought. I bought five. Spend the groceries and half the rent. About fourteen dollars and twenty-seven cents. So dang me, dang me. They ought to take a rope and hang me. Higher from the highest tree, woman, will you weep for me? Do 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 do. They say roses are red and violets are purple, sugar sweet and so's maple syrple. And I'm the seventh out of seven sons. My daddy was a pistol. I'm a son of a gun. I go gang me, dang me. They ought to take a rope and hang me. Higher than the highest tree, woman, will you weep for me? Do 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 So I have a new audio set up here with a mixer so that I can go from a microphone instead of using the laptop mic. And I know a lot of people have been unhappy with the sound of these things at various times, and I know that Chris isn't particularly happy to be putting out things that don't have an optimal audio quality to them. He's got, you know, he's got his own uh, pride in his work, and I respect that. So hopefully this sounds good. Please let me know if it doesn't. It's not using the mic? God damn it. God damn it. Uh, 
course, I don't know how to do this. Oh, boy. Here's where I got to do tech support. Good luck. Wish me luck, guys. Oh, boy. All right, I got to close that. I should close this. Need that. Don't need that. Where is? That there. Where it is? It says that the input. is the microphone. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Because I don't really like holding this thing. I'd rather just talk. All right, whatever. Hopefully this is adding something. Uh... Presumably, Chris will know if it sounds better from because he's an actual audiophile. I don't trust you. I don't trust you, fucking people. You can hear the computer clicking, so you know it's not that. Well, motherfucker, I don't know what to do about that. Very sorry. Turn off computer input. Oh, brother. Don't we all love tech support with Grandpa here? It's fun. Oh, I think this might be it. I think I might have fixed it. I don't know. That might have helped. Does that help? Did I actually troubleshoot it? I think that might have worked. Okay, great. I'm a genius. Guys, folks... I'm a genius. Trouble has been shot by a super hacker. I'm practically Hugh Jackman in the film Swordfish over here. Very pleased with myself. Uh, so we're going to finish up Black Jacobins, I think, maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. But today I wanted to talk a little bit about some stuff that's been in my head about... Uh, the good old cultural superstructure and, and how it's generated. And I think you can really map out uh, a, a historic trajectory that kind of shows that uh, we are living in a, in a situation where culture is the thing that determines politics, like politics and our laws and the real, to, to the extent that there's human agency in this system, it is being generated by that. It's, it's, it's that, um, political structure that we all invest ourselves in because it is the laws that keep us doing the things we do. And I mean, obviously the law is not uh, outside of uh, our uh, politics. It's carried out by politics. We make it and unmake it according to power's desire, but uh, it is what tells people what to do. 
because you're not operating internally. You're being manipulated from outside by the system, and it has to tell you what to do. And laws and politics are how you do that. It is the deliberation that gives human agency to uh, its decisions, to, to, to its actions on the markets or on in the world. And the law is bending to the algorithm because there is no res- human resistance to it, because we're all pushing, no matter what we think we're doing, we're all pushing in its direction. Because we have lost a, the war over control of things like politics. We are no longer in control of politics. The 20th century, the violence of the 20th century, was essentially the human race in its final attempt to assert control of the machinery of capitalism and losing the war. Humanity lost World War uh, human, Humanity lost the 20th century war. The long 20th century is one big long war between humans and the machine and the humans lost. And what that means is that a lot of the assumptions that underlie politics in the 20th century are no longer operative. And that, and that means that our analysis has to be updated or else we're not accounting for changing conditions. And the main condition is that the assumptions about politics that are around, that, that we're operating under, the ideas of elections, the ideas of cultural production pushing public opinion, public opinion forming into action, you know, the things we can actually do to feel like we're affecting things in a market economy where we aren't, for the most part, operating from class consciousness or class cooperation. And the explosions of socialism and then the counter-explosion of fascism and then the through line of sort of imperial domination that knitted them together, is all the human race in revulsion to the depredations of capitalism, which, on the one hand, are creating this horrible destabilization and uh, undermining of understandings of the world and, and uh, human autonomy and, uh, uh, like, the, the soul. You know, you want to get goofy about it. Uh, against this force that's pulling it away from them. Or pulling out your ability to be a person. Oh God damn it! Is it not working? And the reason technology won, the reason that the machine won, is not because it was uh, necessary for it to win. Because it wasn't. For human advancement, it had to lose the final class war where humans come together to overthrow the algorithm. Uh, It won that war not by annihilating us all. A lot of people died. But we also built structures of social order that allowed for a lot more people to live lives that were much more comfortable than had previously been possible. And that comfort made possible by their technological control of space and time in the form of laws, computers, everything. 
And we acceded to that because a lot of people got essentially bought off. The closer they were to the machinery center, the more they could be bought off when that technology is used to do direct exploitation away from power in, through, through the empire. And that solution to the contradictions of capitalism uh, pers- was pursued as a way to ameliorate the anxieties of the, of the lower and middle classes, which then formalized into socialism and then fascism as conditions deteriorated. Even as the and, and that created a situation where first there was the uh, the Hobbesian war over uh, access to imperial markets that made World War One inevitable, and then once that happened, uh, made World War Two inevitable by allowing this uh, defeated Germany the uh, capacity to create a social engine powered by middle class anxiety that could literally uh, like seize control of capitalism and direct it to its own ends, the same way that the Bolsheviks were able to in Russia. And they extended their power to the extent that they could until capitalism contained them. And the way that capitalism contained the fascism was not by defeating it in World War II, it was by absorbing it in World War II. It decapitated the nationalist sort of id of national socialism, but it incorporated the structures of power that had been developed within it, the actual people, the human capital with the institutional knowledge who had built it, were brought into the American imperium to administer a global empire that would have uh, at its base the job of hyper-exploiting from uh, the undeveloped areas of natural resources uh, for the benefit of everyone broadly across class lines uh, in the in the Europe first, and then in the Anglo-American sphere. And that meant that as all of the the crises within national capitalisms erupted, uh, like popping up throughout the nineteenth and twentieth centuries. Uh, you see over and over again capitalism absorbing the energy of its opponents to further its goals of extending itself until you get a situation after World War I where you have finally a, a, a geopolitical conflict between capital and humanity in the form of the first the Russians and then, and then you know the common turn and, and then the, the third world movement after that. This coalition of forces resisting capitalism and then coming together to put down this like cancerous eruption from the middle that is fascism but then doing so by absorbing it now the path not taken after world war ii the one that maybe henry wallace or fdr would have pursued could uh, actual cooperation with the soviets after the soviet fall of uh after the fall of the nazis might have theoretically created a new a a a a, uh, a world system that could slowly bl- drain the fascist drain capitalism out of it, where there were, out of it, where sufficient uh, cooperation between the conscious working classes of these various nations, like the the new the, the popular front, basically persisting. Now that would have caused more war. We still would have had huge conflict in the twentieth century. In fact, 
we would have had an extension of conflict into a probably a third world war, but it would have been one that could have been winnable for the people, for humanity. And instead, we lost. And I think the upshot of that, and, and like I said, the reason they lost, they destroyed who they had to destroy with the technology that had been created, but those who could be bought off were incorporated into the structure. And then you have a superstructure created around that, a cultural superstructure that incorporates these, or, these groups of people, including the self-conscious working class of these advanced nations that had formed along Marxist developmental lines, exactly as he had predicted. These, Europe had these concentrations of people who thought of themselves as workers. And they were everywhere through the world. And the hope of after World War II is that they could all come together. But because Stalin pursued this cover-my-ass, save-my-ass strategy where his well-being as ruler of Russia uh, and his regime's uh, empowerment is more important than the de- his duty to the, the working classes of the world, allows to create the conditions that make communism's defeat inevitable. Because as soon as the Bretton Woods system of global trade is commissioned after World War II, and the, then the, the, under, the, the wildly underdeveloped and then recently war-ravaged Soviet Union and then its allies in the underdeveloped third world, we're going to have to go it alone. And by going it alone, they were going to have to try to compete Within the global system, within capitalism, on the, and that required the state capitalist uh, alienation of the labor of workers for the state's benefit, which is why late, the, the Stalinist state did not create a worker state. It created a state where workers were in the same alienated position from their labor as they bet under capitalism, but there was a socialized utility there was a socialized decision mechanism free of capitalism that apportioned their alienated labor, which is, of course, superior in every way to capitalism, but still contains alienation that has to be socially solved. The only way to socially solve alienation, if you're not going to, to, to alienate further with repression, is treats, is goodies, which is why Khrushchev's turn to a consumer economy in the 50s was not some sort of betrayal. It was the only logical next step. It had to happen. In order to get people to work, you needed to give them incentives, and those had to be market-based incentives. And they were going to be less efficient than capitalism. And so capitalism beat them in the fight for resources in the third world so that they, could, they, they beat them in creating the, the global currency. And that means that in the late 80s, when the final crisis came and there was no more treats to give out and there was no more repression that could be exerted effectively, the whole thing shattered because they had not built a new Soviet person because the people in the Soviet Union were still alienated the same way they'd been under capitalism. And that was, that was made inevitable and Stalin decided to fight it out uh, in material to to fight it out on uh, uh, economic grounds after because he had basically forsworn a real um, challenge for power on the field of battle, but also uh, a, a uh, pressing forward of creating a coalition beyond Russia's 
uh, borders because they uh, gave up on the, the, the Greeks. They gave up on the Greek communists in order to solidify the Warsaw Pact line, the Iron Curtain line. Uh, and then they, uh, they fucking uh, did not do any significant work to reach out to uh, post-colonial regimes or, or colonial resistance movements that were fight, fighting to push off the last vestiges of formal colonialism. So as soon as the Soviets have to fight us on consumer happiness as an index for, uh, con- for building and maintaining a, set- a consensus reality, a consensual reality, capitalism has coercion in the form of its cybernetic network of technology hooked to the profit motive. But they also have social consent in a mass spectacle of, of, of mediated existence that is generated by all that fucking surplus that they get to play around with. They have a dream factory. We all get to live in the matrix. We all get to live in a funhouse version of reality because we're living on the surplus extracted from others. We're living off of others' pain. Now, I'm not saying Stalin would have won that fight, by the way. Probably would have lost. I'm just saying that we know he didn't win by not doing it. We know he didn't win by, by he, we, the, his position was not favorable to do what he did. Because soon enough, what do you have? The, the, oh, the Chinese go communist, but they were, they were more social, they were just as much a feudal backwater, if not more so, than Russia had been, vastly more. Uh, they, they had no developed capitalist mechanisms, no social relationships to, to create it through. The, uh, the the intensification of economic you know in uh, action they were absolutely it was it was a it was a fucking 2000 year old empire for Christ's sake and so there was this massive crisis well how the hell do you get them to compete and what did they do they had to kill like every system of, of accumulation does had to kill massive numbers of peasants and then they had to exercise the guilt from that with their uh with the Cultural Revolution, just like the Bolsheviks had to exercise uh, the crime of uh, the famines through the fucking uh, Red Terror. Through, I'm sorry, not the Red Terror, through uh, the, um, the purges. One way or another, this system is uh, it has it has won the fi- it won in the 20th century the fight and the final terms of of final surrender of the human race were laid uh, there in in the neoliberal order, which is what the deal we got, which is all right. This is the final crisis moment to set in conditions to move forward as we cybernetically uh, our control to our ability to technologically control outstrips your ability to resist it. And so all we really have to do is provide as minimal basis as possible for you to keep fulfilling your necessary social role without us creating it, making it too big of a headache to put you down and to use repression to prevent you from doing that. How much social coercion do we need to give you? And, uh, and because the 
working classes of the world had been scattered to the winds by the 20th century, there was no coherent response. And so the institutions, dominated by capital as they were, made a deal on capital's behalf. And that is the neoliberal deal, the Washington Consensus. What you can grab in the market will allow you dignity, uh, humanity. It will be it will be the final uh, Hobbesian descent, but it will be buffeted. It will it will be buffeted and prevented from just being a free fall collapse into chaos that doesn't serve capitalism's interests. Uh, will give you enough treats basically to make it go down smooth, but of course those treats are going to be dwindling over time. And so all of our post-89 politics has been this uh, ritual exercising of all of our anxieties about the fact that we no longer control our destiny as a species. And so we're all freaking losing it. And the reason we're losing it is because none of us can... have identified where the enemy is because of the fact that we are all grasping for meaning through a miasma of post-class identity formations. Like we are declassed in a way, in a fundamental way. And what I mean by that is that when you talk about the Gramscian model, when you talk about superstructure as the place where you build power through counter hegemony, you're talking about an assumption that was in the context of Gramsci in Italy trying to answer the question, how do you take a country full of God-fearing peasant hicks uh, and make it uh, an effective and guide it towards socialism? And his, and his answer is, well, you have to allow it to generate. Uh, it has to generate through the, the lives of these people. Uh, in the form of their interaction with culture because they do not and cannot experience the the other more clarifying conditions of a a working-class existence. And so Gramsci was trying to speak to the question, how do you try to get to socialism from there? And it was build these counter-institutions that can give you the legitimacy that the experience that you're not getting uh, because people, not enough people are in Labor relations. It's what do you do with the serfs? It's, those questions always come down to what are we doing about the serfs? And I think we're in the situation now, though, where because the conditions, the terms of conditions of human surrender that happened in the late, late 20th century were such that human um, control of institutions at all levels would be ceded to the market it meant that the culture that we're going to absorb will not contain actual working class perspectives, actual working class uh, values, concerns, the kind of things that people would interact with in a culture and then use to clarify their actions in life. Because we're, even though working class people still make culture in their day-to-day lives, in their interactions with uh, elite culture, uh, and in their folk culture, their technologically aided folk culture, your TikToks and stuff. Unlike in the 20th century, uh, throughout the world, 
this culture is not that those working class people do not experience their lives as working class people. 20th century people across the world, when they thought of themselves, they thought of themselves to some degree as a worker. It was a meaningful, coherent sliver of their identity, and it had a defined meaning, and that was uh, notions of solidarity, notions of uh, democratic control of resources to social ends. That was always there, and that was always, that means that people in all of the highest levels of our uh, structures, the the labor union heads, people who wrote for television, uh, people who ran for office, uh, people who got stock jobs in the bureaucracy, uh, people who were living in the culture, were living so with an understanding of what the working class was, who was in it, and what its interests were. And that made their actions in the public stage, like who they voted for, coherent. And it also gave coherence to what they said when they were uh, part of the superstructure, like the working class people who made it through to Hollywood to write, to write and to direct and to produce and to act. Working class people who, who made up uh, the, the people who wrote uh, on newspapers. Because that was a working class job at first. That, that was like people started on the street selling the paper and then they started writing for it. Um, and then, of course, the politicians. Like they were, they were people who uh, had, in many cases, come through labor unions, for example. So they had an understanding of who they were and what it meant to be that. And then they lived that way. But we've given over now to the Reagan revolution. We gave over to that turn worldwide. We all came to some conclusion. We are giving up control of our lives in exchange for treats. And that was because that was the best deal anybody thought they could get at the time. And the ones who didn't think that were crushed. If you thought you could fight on and you had integrity enough to do so, you did and you lost. You were shelled out of the out of the uh, the Russian White House by Yeltsin. You were cooed. You were sanctioned. You were embargoed. You were assassinated. You were fired. Your movement was destroyed from within by uh, COINTELPRO. Or if you were willing to take the deal, you got treats. If you were a, a post-war American worker, you got and you were white for specifically, you got a house. You got a little quarter acre lot that was yours. It, it, it was like your homestead, even though you couldn't grow crops on it and you couldn't live off of the land, and so you still had to be a schmuck working every day. You had that, and things, and that meant that over time you act. They act there was less of a coherent uh, working class element to this culture because the working class were feeling themselves, their lives, their lives were defined. Not by the work they did, but their inter- their interaction with the market as homeowners, as members of the capitalist class. And that affected the way that they interacted with culture. And it meant that by 1980, uh, in the, the American working class was sort of 
bought off and, and repressed that way because remember there was a big strike wave that also happened and it was defeated and that was the stick and then the homeowner republic was the carrot and everybody was everyone made that decision on an individual basis they were everyone it was every man for themselves and that's why when reagan said look you can't ask any more from the market but we can gut some of this the state fat that we're giving to these other people that aren't you we're going to let you compete more effectively in the market and you have a head start so let's go and they took the deal and why wouldn't they it was the logical thing to do everybody made the logical choice which is why we're headed towards disaster because the end result of everybody making the logical choice under capitalism is apocalypse it's the end of the world it's end of human civilization it is our it is our illogical choices that bind us together it's our illogical choices that, that define our relationship to the world and allow us to act not as individuals, but as a part of a greater whole that can cooperate beyond compulsion. And then what we have to reckon with now when we're talking about what's the role of culture in politics and, and what's the difference and that means where is the power? Where can you assert influence? I would argue that there is no place that you can apply, uh, apply power to the culture now that can meaningfully interact because everybody, including everyone who is trying all of their hardest to, to affect change at that level, can really act as a working class person. So that means this is not a the situation where you're creating counter... Gramsci encounter hegemony. You're only powering the dynamo of the capitalist uh, war, uh, the capitalist mystification machine. Because the center of gravity among everybody, if the the voting public, who is going to vote the most is going to be the most comfortable. The people who are going to go through with earnestness the ritual of voting are going to be the people closest to power. Hell, the ones at the very top don't just vote. They extra vote by putting money in. And that's because they feel like there's something that they're getting out of the transaction. They feel like this civic ritual can, gives me results. My, my contribution to this thing and my, er, the earnestness of my contribution for this thing, assumed in others, is going to assure uh, that we all move in the right direction. But our experience of class is only postmodern. We, we experience our lives as consumers. We are, we are a consumer nation. And you uh, array your, your politics around the symbols of these, uh, uh, that we get from the culture, the mediated landscape that replaced the practical realm where we used to define our world. Now everything is coming through this gauze, this, this, this veil of Maya that we're, that we're, uh, that we're covered by and so when we interact with politics it means we are we will always be interacting with it on the conditions on the terms created by 
the most comfortable amongst us, which is then going to be divided into two big camps because the beauty of the system is that it will always create this binary opposition, this, polariz- this polarization along two widely understood groups. Now, in cap- Marxism, this polarization is supposed to go workers and uh, capitalists. And uh, in, a f- in, in, the, in the Bernstein-Kautsky revisionist model, that's how it's supposed to work. Eventually, you get a system where there's two big political groups within a p- democratic uh, uh, structure. One of them is a party of capital. The other is the party of workers. And then they go at it. And guess what? The workers win because there's more of them. That is the, that's the uh, SDP form, form, formula for uh, reform that, be, that uh, becomes revolutionary. And what we have seen is that the, the, the combined and uneven development has made it so that all of the alienations within some capitalisms that form up nationally can be bought off with the pain of others elsewhere. Because you are getting, you're not getting class consciousness untainted from nationalism. They are stuck together at the same level because they are also experiencing their lives through meaningful uh, structures around these nations, that they live as realities, the same way they live their class as a reality. And so our, we are getting to the point of, like, honestly, we are getting to the point of critical class conflict in every, or, or I would say not class, but sect conflict. Because what I'm saying is, in all of these societies where you have the, the format of democracy with some sort of flexibility within it to contain political uh, uh, alienation, shy of, like, revolution and, and, con- and violence, uh, you, you are going to develop into an eventual situation where at the final moment of crisis, there will be two groups, two broad groups, and that they will then come to violence over their inability to use the system to resolve the, the, the at that point, one or the other, winner-take-all, them-or-me contest for survival, which is what everybody thinks they're in right now. They're not, but it feels that way. That's how we're... That's the frequency we're vibrating at because we all understand that that's where it has to end. When it ends that way, we don't know. But it has to end at some point in the near future. And that's going to be true in every country. But what that alignment is depends on the country. And right now we have a situation where we have two sides shaping up along universal suffrage where the most comfortable are going to vote. And then that most comfortable is going to break along one line of recognition into two others. It's not like it's going to all go to one end. It's going to stay in the middle because this is, a, this is, not, a, this is not the conflict. Remember, this is the conflict being resolved. This is humanity being bought off from its own youth, its own destruction. This, it's, the, it's the fucking, um, it's the fent patch as we're being, having our life force drained from us. And so that means even though we are all still have a relationship to a means of production, that means that we are, that we are workers in some sense. 
we experience those concepts, class, from a remove, from, a, from an emotional connection, from a, from a level of reality that puts them on par or, or actually no, far below other more visceral attachments around nation, around race, around gender, around all the other axes that make up everybody's personal sense of self that is not just defined by material interests. That's only, one, that's only the basis for it. Once you have a material interest, once you have a general material interest, everything built on top of that is, is all based on all the other things that you're experiencing in your life. And those things, over time, as capitalist technology overawes humanity, our lives become less social and more mediated. And so our understanding of words like class and ideas like solidarity and, and what politics can and should do like the entire note, the entire structure of our, of our understanding of the world through like a political lens, uh, is shaped more and more by what we view, not what we experience. What we experience is class exploitation that over time coalesces into class consciousness as we cooperate as workers. Now, as we cooperate as workers, we do things like create a newspaper or have a political party, and those political parties do things, and those reporters, those uh, newspapers write about those things. And that creates a, a context where we're acting and we're defining ourselves in, through our interaction with the world. And that includes voting and things like that. And that is being generated by this working class movement. But once the working class movement is, is destroyed, where every, every working class was put down everywhere, from the Soviet, former Soviet Union to China to, uh, to Latin America uh, uh, of course, in the United States, uh, in, in the form of Paul Volcker, just putting a fucking stake in the heart of the working class, uh, but on, because they had already, uh, there was no sufficient co- formation uh, anywhere to defeat it because we were all too comfortable. The ones who were the most crucial to the, stru- the system were too comfortable and had been made so. Everybody, all the suffering was, was scattered. The, the deepest pools of suffering were not touched by political power. They were, they were, uh, they had never been allowed to, 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 uh, let sufficient capital formation or for stay to allow for, uh, the intensification of those cultural production that could interact with these structures and, and force a voice. There, there was only there was only the barrel of the gun. The Volcker shock was because uh, remember, so Stalin thought he was at his best. You want to give him credit? Stalin thought that at the end of World War II, he was giving he was doing a, t- a temporary armistice with the West. He was saying, look, we're beat, we're in trouble, uh, we got our asses kicked during that war, we're, we're, they have a bomb now, let's just play on their terms until we recover a bit. And that's the, under the best, uh, the best faith, the, the most charitable reading of Stalin's thought process was that's what he was thinking, uh, if he cared that much. But uh, in hindsight, we can see that, uh, no, by, by ceding to that contest, the Soviets basically sealed their doom. 
And so by the late, like the, the Eastern Bloc had been kept alive through the 70s by high oil prices and then uh, Western loans to try to create more, uh, com- more efficiency in their economy. Uh, and in so doing, they uh, became debtor nations. And once you ratchet, and, and of course, the Latin American countries that had tried to do uh, export or import uh, substitution industrialization uh, had done that basically at Yankee credit. Uh, and there, that meant that all of those working class parties that had emerged and had pursued power and had fought against the reactionary tide of uh, the generals, uh, such power that was able to be concentrated was done so under the auspices of, uh, of this uh, investment that was, all, that was all borrowed. And as soon as that interest rate went up, it just shattered uh, the... Uh, it shattered the political legitimacy, basically, of all of these less efficient exploiters in the Eastern Bloc. And so, as soon as it became a contest for treats, and there's no more, uh, the, the West was going to make it harder to dispense treats, uh, under those economic, uh, with that political order, well, then the people would make the logical conclusion that the political order needed to go. And so the legitimacy of these states collapsed. And what happened is that all these people uh, let the doors open to the Trojan horse of capitalism that then just showed how much, how little it had any concern for uh, their out- input in any of this. What this means for the culture question is, since we're all interacting with the market, uh, interacting with culture as as consumers who are related to who who the more we matter in the cultural discourse, the more likely we are to vote, the more likely we are to participate in political uh, contests and volunteer and and, and participate. Uh, by talking about it to each other and and writing and, and creating art about it. We are the people who have a faith in the system that was bought off by the middle-class boom and that is being undermined and that is being eroded every day. But because of the uh, accelerating pace of the technological coercive power of capital, our ability to resist that has never been lower. There is no reflection in our lives of effective class resistance to capitalism. There's a Democratic Party, but the Democratic Party does not represent in any way a class project. No one experiences that way. There used to be a class project associated with the Democratic Party, and it's through that lens that people still assume there is one and that structures their relationship to it, but it's fake. And what that means is that those comfortable fucking homeowners who might have been a professional person, might have been a, a factory worker, they view through the spectacle, spectacle of politics through this lens of credulity, and that le- leans them to either be Democrats or Republicans and to accept one or the other of these frameworks of, of blame and, and, and virtue 
that is uh, the political system acting out the question of who will be sacrificed to the god Moloch. And the Democrats and Republicans fight over who is more worthy of Moloch's extinguishment. And so politics becomes a shadow war between these two cultural demons that we're trying to exercise because we have given up control of the system. We do not believe in it, which means we do not believe it bends to human ends. So we inter- we're still in it because we have individual interests that we need to fucking concern ourselves with. And so everybody at every level participating, people making art, people making posts, people making podcasts, people running for office, people making TV shows, people trending topics, people donating to campaigns, people volunteering for campaigns, are all operating from this level of belief in the system born of the fact that they were promised something. Their parents got something, they were promised it, and therefore they think that there's something they can do to get it back. Now, I would say that even if all the socialists in the world who say they're socialists now really understand that and have full, clear understanding of themselves, no, I am a worker, sir. I am a worker. I will show you how I'm a worker. Even if they're fully, uh, even if they know what that word means and they're using it correctly, and it's not just like through the the, the lens that they've been observing it, even if they are uh, absolutely aware of themselves as workers, all they can do is act alongside everybody else because there's no collective thing to do except things like vote, and we vote for parties made up of and voted in huge numbers by people who don't think of themselves as workers. Think of themselves as Americans or taxpayers. Think of themselves as entrepreneurs or would-be billionaires. Think of themselves as white or black or trans or male or female or anything. Things that everybody feels to some extent, but for these people, it's all. There's no lived experience of class that is expressed through the culture. It was killed because the conveyor belt from the working class to the creative class was cut because they said, we're going to give a deal to you humans. You guys who got a house, congratulations. You keep your house. You have that little bit of equity. You're not going to be ground up immediately and fed into the fucking slurry. You're not going to be turned into paste and bone meal. Congratulations. But of course, you know, over time, you're not all going to be able to uh, live lives of luxury. Uh, but we're still going to have to figure out to, uh, a way to to dole this these treats out that keeps you n- fucking mutton heads in the game. And the answer was the knowledge economy, college, the idea that everyone believed at some basic level in the way they acted, that the deal was now everybody for themselves, but there is something you can do to ensure at least a minimum level of safety and comfort in life. And that is go to college. Go to mother fucking, mother dicking, mother bitching college. Go there. The way they said in the 19th century, Horace Greeley said, go west, my son, and grow up with the country. The 21st century answer after the extinguishment of the frontier, the end of plenty, the end of the myth, and the need to start cannibalizing the human race, the answer became go to, the, go to college. Get a knowledge job. 
There's no more working through. You're not, there's no more clearing land. There's no more struggle to be had. Your labor in most ways is, is superfluous. It's getting more and more superfluous to these productions because we're doing it elsewhere with greater exploitation and greater uh, 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 profit. But that's just because we're, develop- we're, uh, we're going to where the profit is as profit declines. We're going and sucking up and hoovering up all the profits that can be extracted through exploitation, through sheer gun-to-the-head exploitation, stripped of political legitimacy or political uh, 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 cons- uh, consent. But we don't live that way. The ones who vote don't live that way. So that means that us growing into tr- this world, we want to be socialists. All that can mean is interacting with the issues of politics as defined by the Democratic and Republican parties, which represent two formations of middle-class nervous breakdown around failing uh, the dying American dream. And they are cosmopolitan, uh, cosmopolitan capital and provincial capital. The Brahmins and the merchants, as uh, Thomas Piketty has called them. That's it. And everyone else is along for the ride. Because with the death of the working class as an engine of politics, uh, after Taft-Hartley and, and, and then the neoliberal consensus, and then the breaking of the labor movement, and no more forward momentum in labor uh, uh, organizing, and then offshoring, removing labor's leverage because, oh, we're going to close the, the plant. You're going to go on strike? Who could? Yeah, that'll make it easier for us to get the machines out. So that had been broken. There was Politics had no working class in, uh, input. From the late 70s on, it was gone. You could argue from 72, it was gone. And so the culture that we're interacting with is one that has not made by working class people. Some of them are the children of middle class homeowners who are in the middle working class, but they went to college. We all went to college. Whether you're the son of a, of a forklift driver or a, a electrician or a fucking uh, ad man or a cop, your kid went to college. And the idea was if you follow the rules, absorb the etiquette and social mores that were imparted in these, this finishing school, and then gain some technical skill that could be priced into a market interaction, then that you could get your own semblance of, what, of, the, of the upwardly mobile, comfortable, consumer-based happiness that your parents had aspired to now the 60s had seen the kids rebel against that and say oh no i don't want that man i don't want your gray flannel suit man but then at the end when the other when the alternative was was high gas prices and uh and inflation uh and and unemployment going up and, and higher taxes and and less fewer uh fewer vacation days and
they were happy to be able to buy in at the ground floor of something because they didn't just get bought out at the uh, at the level of you know you get a, a university tenure track position or uh, you know a job at a uh, uh, like a think tank or whatever the fuck. Uh, the other part of that was that the cultural uh, restrictions that had been emplaced uh, by sort of the middle class mor- uh, morality of those comfortable people in the middle, uh, their parents, uh, that was negotiable. That could go because, hey, you're the guys who have money now. You actually matter. You set the terms. And so people came around to the idea that, okay, I can affect the liberation I want, which was always a consumer revelation because I never really lived a working-class life. I lived in the suburbs. I lived as a homeowner's child, as a little squire on the fucking uh, mansion. The, a, squ- a, a little a little squire uh in the uh the countryside a little a little a little fauntleroy with with crushed velvet culottes skipping through the little suburban days and then they went to college and the jobs you got out of college that first generation those were jobs that were relatively intellectually rewarding gave you a degree of autonomy and uh uh some degree that some degree of belief that you chose your profession and they were well compensated but that was all predicated on this search for profit that was being funneled over to the extent it could be and as increasing con- uh crisis reordered things the 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 treat faucet went down that's why everybody post world war ii is part of one generation we're all boomers the only difference is, over time, our relationship to technology and our uh, understanding of the horizons of our personal uh, autonomy uh, are different. And that explains everything. Because everybody is seeing themselves as a consumer. Because that is what they were brought into. The world they were brought into post-World War II was one of, for the people who went on to do politics the most and define these things, not everybody but for the ones who were the center of gravity of American culture, it was a non-alienated time. That's why they got instantly nostalgic, because they were the only people who ever lived non-alienated lives, and college is the peak of non-alienation. And everybody who came out of that machine went through a th- process of finding that on the other end of that was not the liberation that they'd been promised, but just the same exploitation that their fucking sucker-ass dad had had, but only w- with a shirt and tie. And so you see the disaffection and cynicism of the fucking Xers. Then you see the, just the, the anxiety fest of the millennials and now just the dead-eyed nihilism of the Zoomers. It's that horizon of human agency closing. And politics, that means everybody participating in politics is participating in those, of those terms, the terms of... of uh, People who uh, were promised a thing, believed in a thing, and are seeing the thing fail to deliver and are having a crisis one way or another of confidence in democracy and, a, uh, and the systems that they've been uh, consenting to participate in their whole lives. And now they're starting to question them. And, what that, and the way that they question them is defined basically at the, at the wholesale level demographically. And so you have Democrats and Republicans. 
capital funding both of them, but then the top level of one being finance capital in, in Wall Street and all these college-educated uh, fancy types with very developed uh, moral codes and, and, and very adva- who consider themselves progressive, who are the end result of the Puritan cult of, of virtue because they have defined virtue publicly because God is dead. And they are cosmopolitan capital. And then there are people below. And they set the, they fund all the, this whole shooting match. But at a, a personal level, they are more favored to the Democrats. And then Hollywood, another formation around the creative types who didn't really want to do the dirty work of watching this machine, sausage make itself. They needed, more expre- they needed more than mere money. They needed a sense of creative outlet. They couldn't do a political outlet. They tried and failed but a creative outlet, so Hollywood. And then science and, and technology. Please, just let me try to make the world better. Make, let me allow me to express myself. And so you had Silicon Valley. And these formations all take, and they create a, a, a vision of uh, human liberation through the market that becomes the democratic orthodoxy. And that is also world capital consuming the world. And from the, 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 the eye of the storm, that turns into liberalism because these are the people who have been living most comfortably the longest and whose faith in the system is most deeply ingrained. And then lower than them, you have the people in the superstructural relationships around them. They're kids usually, like people in academia and politics, which is also uh, for working class, the, 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 the children of working class people uh, who uh, also want a middle-class life and think of themselves as middle-class and then pursue it. Joe Biden is the perfect example of that. Joe Biden is a guy who's like, okay, my business is politics. And that's my way of feeling like I'm in charge of something. And so that is, that's who makes up those strata. And then the voters at large are the lower-level versions of that, like K through 9, like uh, teachers, uh, and, of course, there's also other people voting, but at lower levels. People lower at the totem pole are voting at lower levels. But even within that, you have, like, in the black community, it's still arrayed around comfort. The most comfortable black people vote and participate in politics the most. It's true with, with any kind of group. You, everywhere you want to de- uh, define it, that's how voting is, is structured. And so... Our elections are just these coalitions of different people with different levels of affect for government participating in politics. And the main thing you get out of that is Democrats and Republicans duking it out. But now we're getting, at one level, at one end, the hysteria of QAnon and the dream of uh, the day of the rope and and, uh, all that. And then on the other, you have the liberal Ragnarok around creating like a, uh, a new, like having a new cultural revolution around uh like racial justice and those are both expressions of these this middle class breakdown this nervous breakdown among people who self-identify as beneficiaries of the system no matter what their job is or their background they self-identify at a basic level as beneficiaries of the system who are trying to get a better deal and then you have people in socialist counter movements and even if they do believe that they have a class interest and they can only do they can only respond to the, the political structure that is being generated by this this end state 
of uh, neurotic breakdown. Like we're witnessing this this breakdown among the middle class mind, and we're enmeshed in it in one way or another, and we can only participate in it. We can't stand. We cannot participate in it without aiding it. Is what I'm saying. We are all providing energy for this this process, but we can't not do that because there's nothing else to do. It just means that we have to put our gaze lower to the ground when we ask ourselves what is to be done. At every point, at every point, the vet, the the usefulness of this critique in my mind, the usefulness of this line of thinking, the usefulness of my whole approach to politics as a as a as your baseline understanding is that it clarifies things. We all still have to make the exact same question, uh, decisions that we had to make yesterday, no matter what we think about what's going to happen, no matter how, where we think politics is grounded, no matter how we analyze any of these questions. We have the same daily challenges. And they pose us always a question of what to choose to do. And we choose wrong a lot of the time because our understanding of what's happening in front of us is in some critical way misaligned with reality. And the the baggage we bring to our lives from our pseudo-life in this uh, Winchester mystery house of uh, middle-class neuroses Ruling class, I guess you would say, neuroses. Either actually move ruling class or self-deluded ruling class. Neuroses. It makes you able to answer the question, do I need to care about this? A lot easier. And when I see how much, and I know in my own life, how much time people spend preoccupied with questions that in the real scheme of things are irrelevant, is that knowing that or being able to ask that question, do I need to care about this, can really free up mental real estate for other things, like what to do about your direct life and how to apply your political uh, anima, your, your, your self-directed need to assert yourself in the world, to assert your humanity in the world, to express yourself as a being, how are you going to satisfy that unquenchable fire and I think a lot of it gets misdirected by a sterile engagement with these these windmills so yeah that's where I'm at with the whole thing is that that our understanding of the Gramscian counter-hegemonic dynamic is not operative in the current circumstances, in the United States, at least. There has to be an emergent working-class counter-hegemony that breaks out of all of these structures, that cannot come from these structures. So it can't be the Democratic Party. It can't be any of the fucking issues 
that we're always arguing about. Because to get people to act from class consciousness, they have to take those moments when there's a conflict between their class interest, as they understand it, and their individual identity interest. There has to be a certain degree of, uh, of thickness of belief in notions of solidarity to withstand a real uh, 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 identity-based attack. So you can't participate in these questions without assuming that most people are going to put you in a file on one or the other side of this great divide we have between the the, the cosmopolitans and the provincials. Uh, the pubes and the grays, if anyone's read uh, The Dark Tower. is as a bystander. We can only participate in it as either aloof bystanders or as people who have invested in one or the other at the level of fandom, but then the point where fandom becomes self-identity. Like we have fused fandom to identity so that we care as much about how we define ourselves and what culture we consume as who we vote for, and they mean the same thing. And the voting has to be on the terms of this this nervous breakdown. It has to be on the terms of this sterile culture war because that's the only game in town. It's that, it's, the, it's what the people in Congress are voting on, and it's what culture is producing. It's all we have. So an emergent working class identity is going to form around practical questions of direct tactical use, which means that these big structures of sorting that break us apart will not come into the question. It will not emerge to challenge and break apart uh, trust because everyone will be in good faith working towards the voc- the local goal, and they will put all that other stuff aside. One way or the other, they will put that other shit aside and come to a consensus. And then move forward from that. And then that will create counter-hegemony within it. And we can all participate. But for now, we are in this, we're suspended in this goo. And it's our job to not go crazy in the goo. It's our job to not decide that we love the goo and that the goo is real and that the goo is life, and that if we care enough about the goo, that it's going to push us in through it. We're going to be able to move through the goo just by sheer willpower. We cannot. We cannot will our way to anything. We have to cooperate. We have to humble ourselves. And I'm I'm saying I'm not doing a great job. I don't think a lot of us are. But that's because we don't have anything to do, And, and and it is action that brings clarity and it's the lack of action that creates this neurosis. 
So we just have to not necessarily try to push to the very barrier of where we're going to get resistance, but maybe just ask ourselves, where can we put energy that will leave us feeling less shitty all the time? It could really come down to that, because I honestly believe that if you're aware enough of the world and, and, and uh, ideologically aligned enough with reality to understand the source of pain and alienation in your life and not to allow the, the, the specters of, of middle-class bourgeois breakdown to find them for you, That you are seeking the best. I think that if you're on that side, you're trying. It's just you're, you're also trying to pleasure yourself. We're all trying to pleasure ourselves. And those two things are at cross purposes. And by denying ourselves easy indulgence to distract, and we, have, we, we can put ourselves to the task of like saying, okay, what? What can I do to help? And of course, the question, well, okay, help how emerges. And the ego wants that to mean, how can I do it in a way that is going to make a difference? But you have to get rid of that part. And if you get rid of that part, it really focuses things. Because if you're going to act in spite of your having given up hope of it mattering, you can act from the heart because you're severing yourself from your selfish devotion to an action. Because you will still feel better and now you'll know why. As opposed to always wondering what it was. And it requires the leap of faith. That's why it can't be predicted or prescribed. That's why it's the realm of art more than politics. And that's why I find myself in this weird position as a podcaster straddling the line as everybody blurs politics and art together. Turns culture and politics into the same slurry of of uh, indulgence and distraction that I am a, just a, a part of that process. That I am an avatar of that, of that happening of the, the podcast uh, eruption is, is people who have a desire to live at the pleasure of a system that benefits them, but to be exempt from feeling guilty about it. And there, you can do that by trying to affect political change or by expressing yourself culturally and artistically. And part of the problem for a lot of people is that politi the political horizons got so sh uh, were constricted so fast that all faith in that avenue collapsed almost overnight, leaving only the pursuit of art by the by the by the canny. You know, by the ones who didn't want to be cringe. But not most people aren't very talented, is the thing. And it'd be one thing if you wanted to express yourself as a hobby, but having to make it your career means 
having a uh, deep investment in your ability to do it that makes doing it less fun and more scary. And then people just get paralyzed. I know I did before that choice until a new thing comes around where, hey, I could just talk about politics and it'll be entertaining. And that's like artistic, right? It's like art adjacent. It's making people happy, which is better than making them sad. And people get to acknowledge me. And I get some of the validation that I can now only seek virtually because our conditions are, are pretty much set unless you get wildly lucky and become an avatar for a whole generation of people. So that's why I find myself now having to refine and be like, all right, if this is going to be worth doing, it has to be meaningful because otherwise it just makes me feel bad and I can't distract myself anymore from what is the source of that because I know it. And That is the power. That's how real class consciousness and right action are formed is that you get stripped to a sensory awareness point and an interaction with reality that is sharp enough and you maintain and you retain that association. And it becomes this plangent chord that your brain plays as you encounter, encounter the world. And it keeps you grounded in a truth that you use to identify everything that happens around you. And so now I'm like, shit, I mean, I, I probably have to make something that's like more labor intensive, uh, more risky than whatever this is. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I think that, yeah, the degree to which I feel any anxiety right now in my life, it is in trying to manage that, uh, that tension between the, the manifest indulgences that I can, uh, pursue and my drive to to actually do that and i'll probably just walk that i'll probably end up walking that tightrope for the rest of my life one way or another unless there's a big phase shift which very well could happen but i just trust that i'm walking it for now I'm, i trust that i am holding a balance between and not being pulled from one way or the other and that that's all i can really go on is that homing beacon in my stomach. But I do think things are going to change for everybody in a relatively, uh, the relatively near future. Not catastrophically necessarily, but in a way that when you look back on it, you will kind of be like, oh, damn. I mean, hasn't that been true of the last year? And that's, of course, the, the, the dread, the poisonous mushroom that uh, Felix identified when he says, everything stays the same but gets worse. And that's the perfect description of it. But that's still motion. And you, and you don't get motion all at once. You get motion through... A, a a a gathering towards a breaking point and we're all going to have to act 
in that moment. And the decisions we make are going to be guided by what we've been doing until that moment comes. And the other thing is, is that moment's not going to be the same one for everybody. That's not going to be the same one for everybody. That moment is going to be the accumulation of moments. Everybody, the, 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 the twig is snapping under everybody, but it is doing so at an, at an uneven rate. But it is happening to everybody in small and big ways. And so that means that we are getting more and more opportunities to confront moments and not to try to bury our head from them or try to incorporate them into our fantasy narratives, which is another bad thing you could do. Suffusing your action with like the will drawn from conviction, and that is what we lack. The best lack all motherfucking conviction because there is just so much information, isn't there? And there is so much of an expectation that we can come to a logical mastery of the moment that will justify our action because there's no other reason to do anything. That more than anything is what we have been taught. There's no other reason to do anything other than it is logical. And what logical means is in my self-interest. In the broad scope, logical means to my self-interest as I define it. That means nobody believes in any institutions. And that means they cannot believe in working within them or resisting them because that would be involving themselves in other institutions that they don't believe in. But I just, I, I keep myself at the moment balanced on the beam because things are good for me, largely. I am pretty content. And I do feel like I am moving forward. And then it's only when I kind of start self-doubt kicking in and sort of sloth that it gets bad. But, you know, then I, I kick myself, I pick myself up and get back in the race. I pick myself up and get back in the race. That's life. I get cocked down and I get up again. Never going to keep me down. So, yeah, stick around if you want more of these nuggets of content that I'm trying to craft into something beautiful for someone's eyes and feel like it's true. Fuck, yes. Jack ba- Black Jacobin, probably Wednesday. I did finish it, so we'll talk about the whole thing. 